Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And now for today's environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Thursday, August 26th. I'm Nathaniel Weinsapple. New research out of Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis has a goal of understanding and then implementing insects into human diets. Due to overpopulation and climate change, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization expects agriculture to fall short of feeding the world by 2050. According to the research, the raising of bugs could help feed livestock as well as feed humans. Unlike the rest of the world, the people of the United States are not used to eating insects due to the large amount of land area and water supply for agriculture and livestock. The new Center for Environmental Sustainability through Insect Farming at IUPUI hopes to find insects that can be farmed and are nutritious and safe. According to the Indiana Department of Natural Resources, the body of a black bear has been found in Elkhart County. The bear was found near a motorway and was greatly decomposed. The Indiana DNR believes that the bear was hit by a vehicle. This is the fifth black bear found, dead or alive, in the modern history of Indiana. Black bears were once fairly common in the state before the Civil War, but between 1871 and 2015, there were no reported sightings. As bear populations grow in neighboring states, it is likely that Indiana will become a more common home for the black bear. The U.S. Department of Justice, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and the Indiana Department of Environmental Management have recently come to an agreement to amend the 2012 Clean Water Act consent decree with the city of South Bend, Indiana. The amendment allocates more time to South Bend to further reduce and treat sewage in order to meet Indiana's water quality standards. This is all in an effort to prevent E. coli. Prior to the 2012 Clean Water Act, South Bend was sending 2 billion gallons of untreated human and industrial sewage into lakes and streams. With the amendment to the act, the revised plan and additional time should improve the public health of the South Bend area. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinsaffle. Two environmental groups are putting real-time air monitoring data in the hands of citizens and giving those community members the power to make informed decisions about their health each day. Southwestern Indiana Citizens for the Quality of Life and Valley Watch have formed Ohio Valley Safe Air through grant money. Currently, they have installed 24 monitors from Evansville to Hanover, with an additional 26 remaining to be installed. 
The monitors are especially useful for people with existing health problems such as asthma. Usually the main pollutant in particulate matter, one of the most interesting details the monitors measure is microscopic particulate matter. Common sources of particulate matter are emissions from coal-fired power plants, vehicle exhaust, dust from fields or construction sites, and smoke from open burning activities. There is an update on a proposed solar farm near Anderson. After losing an Indiana Court of Appeals decision, opponents of the proposed Lone Oak Solar Farm are asking the Indiana Supreme Court to review their case against Madison County's Board of Zoning Appeals. The request comes after the appellate court affirmed a denial of judicial review by Madison Circuit Court Division VI Judge Mark Dudley. In asking the state's high court to accept transfer of the case, the opponents cite issues with the Court of Appeals ruling. The vote by a member of the Board of Zoning Appeals, who was not a county resident, and that the Board of Zoning Appeals improperly interpreted the county's comprehensive plan. Invenergy put on hold the Lone Oak Solar Energy Center, a $110 million project, in 2019 after the Madison County Council voted to rescind the Economic Revitalization Area designation, effectively eliminating the possibility of obtaining a tax abatement. The proposed project covers about 850 to 900 acres in northern Madison County and would generate 120 megawatts of electricity and millions of dollars to the community. Lone Oak, a subsidiary of Invenergy, planned to lease 35 parcels from 23 landowners. The project design included a decommissioning plan and soil reclamation plan to restore the area to agricultural viability after 45 years. The measures were approved with the understanding that solar panels could not be located closer than 500 feet from a non-participating landowner's property line without the landowner's consent. Currently, only 9% of Indiana's power comes from renewables, placing the state among the 16 states with the lowest percentage. The just-concluded legislative session propped up coal and placed barriers to wind and solar. This summer, a 1.2-megawatt solar array was installed in Huntington and now provides power to a massive manufacturing plant on Bendix Commercial Vehicle System's local campus. Bendix said the solar array decreases its reliance on the local power grid and reduces the company's carbon footprint in pursuit of sustainability. The Huntington Solar Array will contribute a 3% decrease to Bendix's carbon footprint across North America. Quote, Watching this come together over the past few months has been amazing, and it's a genuine thrill to look out there next to the parking lot and see that what was once a vision of stepping toward a greener future is now a reality, end quote, said Bill Schubert, Bendix Corporate Manager, Environmental and Sustainability. During the plant's normal hours of operation, all of the energy generated will be used by the facility. However, during non-working hours such as weekends and holidays, it will be able to send excess energy back to the electrical grid. This will increase the utility's green energy and reducing Bendix's utility cost. At full capacity, the company said the solar project produces 1.5 million kilowatt hours of electricity, delivering an estimated $140,000 in annual electric utility savings. 
Tiny endangered New Mexico meadow jumping mice hibernate for up to nine months a year. That leaves them only a short time in summer to eat and reproduce in the tall, dense grasses along New Mexico's perennial streams. Grazing cattle damage their critical habitat by trampling and devouring grasses the mice eat and defecating all over the mice's Sacramento Mountains habitat. The U.S. Forest Service reported more than 100 instances a year of cattle grazing in the mouse's protected habitat. There have been 40 violations in one area during a recent two-month period. In spite of the numerous violations, the Forest Service has issued no noncompliance notices. In a recent three-year period, the Forest Service spent over $8.4 million in public funds on the Sacramento allotment and neighboring Agua Chiquita allotment to facilitate the grazing operations of two permit holders, with even more money allocated this year to build more fencing. It denies the harm the cattle are causing. Robin Silver, a co-founder of the Center for Biological Diversity, said, quote, Cattle grazing is the reason these once beautiful streamside meadows are trashed and the mouse is disappearing. It's absurd that the U.S. Forest Service spends millions in taxpayer money to protect the area and stop this slow-motion extinction instead of just removing the cows, end quote. The New Mexico meadow jumping mouse was listed as endangered in 2014, and the Fish and Wildlife Service protected nearly 14,000 acres of critical habitat for the mouse in 2016. According to St. Louis Public Radio, the Grain Belt Express is moving forward by purchasing land rights in Missouri, a project to generate electricity using wind turbines in Kansas and distribute the power in the Midwest and East Coast is finally taking shape. Invenergy has purchased nearly half of the land it needs in northern Missouri for the construction project that will begin in earnest in 2023. All of those deals have been the product of voluntary negotiations with landowners willing to sell, according to the company, although Invenergy could have used eminent domain to acquire the land. Some members of the Missouri legislature wanted to revoke the eminent domain power during its regular session that ended in May, but the effort fell short largely because opponents pointed to the company's approval from the Missouri Public Service Commission and the likelihood that Invenergy would bring a court challenge if it was prohibited from using eminent domain. Quote, Eminent domain would only be a last resort. We are continuing to pursue voluntary negotiations with landowners, end quote, said Nicole Lucky, Vice President of Regulatory Affairs for Invenergy. The Grain Belt Express will run power from wind turbines in Kansas through Missouri and Illinois and into Indiana at Sullivan, where it will connect with other distribution lines. That means while most of the power will be sold to customers in the Midwest and East Coast, it will also be part of the larger power grid nationwide. Lucky said linking the Grain Belt Express to the power grid could have helped avoid the massive power outage Texas experienced in February. Quote, the line would have made it possible to import substantial amounts of excess electricity to supply from other regions to address those outages, end quote, Lucky said. Invenergy lists benefits to Missouri, including $7 million in annual property tax revenue for local units of government starting in the first year of operation and the possibility of using the infrastructure to improve broadband Internet connectivity to underserved areas.
The County Council in Whatcom County in Northwest Washington State has passed a land use ordinance permanently banning the approval of any new refineries, coal plants, piers, wharves, and transshipment facilities for fossil fuels. The Council's reason for doing so was those facilities' damage to water ecosystems and air quality and their exacerbation of the climate crisis. The ordinance also places new restrictions on existing fossil fuel facilities, mandating that if any of them expands, the operator will have to offset the equivalent of any additional greenhouse gases released. Whatcom County has been a fossil fuel center for decades, with two of the state's five oil refineries owned by BP and Phillips 66. To serve the refineries, oil and gas pipelines, heavy rail lines, and a propane export facility also operate in the county. Proposals for new fossil fuel infrastructure were arriving at the county at a fast clip, and people opposing them were tired of tackling each proposal individually. They sought a permanent solution and found it in the land use ordinance. Besides prohibiting new polluting industries, the ordinance will halt the practice of shipping fossil fuels, which the region has been known for. Whatcom County's ordinance is aligned with the conclusion of an important recent report by the International Energy Agency that halting new fossil fuel expansion next year is necessary if there's any chance of meeting the Paris Accord goal of limiting global heating to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Only 10 single-use products are responsible for 75% of the plastic pollution in the ocean. Among those items that rank high among the throwaway items that are clogging up our shorelines and seafloors are food containers and cups made of polystyrene, better known by the brand name Styrofoam. Because those plastic foam products break apart easily and degrade extremely slowly, they are one of the most persistent threats to the environment. State governors can do a lot to obviate this problem. They can support a ban on polystyrene cups and containers. Scientists have found polystyrene foam in hundreds of marine animals. Foam fragments have been discovered in the guts of some of the most isolated animals on the planet in the Antarctic. Plastics take up space in animal stomachs, creating a false sense of fullness or physical blockages that can lead to starvation. When wildlife ingests polystyrene foam, it reduces fertility, decreases energy, and impairs development. Measures to ban the worst single-use plastics are gaining ground. Cities across the country have implemented polystyrene bans. Washington and Virginia passed such bans this year, and Colorado is about to join the list. As many as one billion birds die each year from collisions with buildings in the U.S., Congress can do something about it by passing the Bird Safe Buildings Act, which would require all new and renovated federal buildings to be made with bird safe materials and design features. Bird deaths are a serious conservation problem. North America's bird population has plummeted by 3 billion birds since 1970 for a decline of almost one-third. Birds are a keystone species, performing critical ecosystem services from pollination to pest control. Approximately one-third of U.S. bird species are considered endangered, threatened, or in serious decline. Various threats, including human development, pollution, the climate crisis, and habitat loss, have made the extinction of several hundred bird species a real possibility. Reducing hazards on public buildings is an important and necessary step in protecting birds. Ever since 2011, 
the Bird Safe Buildings Act has been introduced in Congress, but it hasn't received the necessary support to pass into law. A public outcry could help. Killing wolves is becoming a popular endeavor. The Wisconsin Natural Resources Board just approved killing 300 wolves this fall, almost half the wolves that survived this past February's slaughter. The answer is to convince the Biden administration to restore Endangered Species Act protection for wolves, saving them from hunting and trapping. In approving the coming wolf hunt, Wisconsin's Natural Resources Board ignored the recommendations of its own scientists and disregarded overwhelming public opposition to expanded wolf hunting. What's worse, the state has demonstrated a total disregard for enforcing hunting quotas. In the February hunt, as many as one in three wolves was killed in just 60 hours, almost doubling the approved quota. Before Wisconsin, Montana, and Idaho passed laws that allow the killing of 90% of their wolves in notably brutal ways. According to the organization Environmental Action, quote, from using ATVs and snowmobiles to run wolves down, to baiting wolves into traps where they could be left to struggle for days, more wolves will needlessly suffer and die this year than at any time in living memory, end quote. November 6th is the date Wisconsin's drastically expanded wolf hunt will begin if restoring federal Endangered Species Act protections across the lower 48 states doesn't occur. If the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service won't take the lead, Congress can. Green sea turtles in the Florida Keys are showing alarming rates of internal and external tumors. 51% of turtles, to be exact more than double the incidence rate for green sea turtles in Florida overall. According to researchers, the tumors are caused by fibropapillomatosis, which is a transmissible tumor disease of ecological importance. The tumors grow on the turtle's eyes, flippers, necks, and other body parts, and can stop the turtles from finding food or even breathing if left untreated. Researchers are looking to assess the health of young turtles in hopes of finding the root of the disease in order to improve the health of the green sea turtles in the future. They worry that factors like the climate crisis, which is changing the local flora and fauna, and rising sea temperatures may increase the rate of disease transmission for marine life. Understanding why the turtles have tumors could lead to other health findings and potential solutions for their safety. After weeks of covering up the data, the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency finally revealed that in building the Line 3 pipeline, the Canadian company Enbridge has spilled drilling mud and polluted water at more than half the water bodies they've bored under to build the pipeline. In 28 of those spills, called frackouts, Enbridge spilled over 10,000 gallons of drilling mud and chemicals, threatening the health of Minnesota's wetlands, rivers, and streams. Water protectors know that these frackouts are just a small preview of what's to come if Enbridge continues to construct the pipeline. Water protectors continue to resist and face arrest for violating the law when in fact, as leading water protector Winona LaDuke pointed out in recent New York Times interview, quote, Enbridge are the ones who committed the crime, end quote. Police have arrested the co-founder of the Gwinyu Collective, attorney Tara Hauska after shooting her with rubber bullets. They also gassed other protesters. In all, 700 water protectors have been arrested in recent months. 
The water protector's resistance has been effective. Recently, the Jinyu Collective led an action that shut down construction at two work sites. Water protectors with Lake Megizzi halted construction in another area. Litigation challenging the project is still pending. The Minnesota Department of Natural Resources is under legislative scrutiny over drilling accidents and water issues. Demands for a federal environmental impact statement are growing. Celebrities, musicians, artists, youth, activists, and allies from all over are demanding that President Biden stop the pipeline. Spotted owls, native to the Pacific Northwest, have lost 70% of their forest habitat, and their survival is hanging in the balance. In Washington state, 77% of spotted owls have died. Last year, the Trump administration stripped protections from 3.4 million acres of spotted owl habitat, even though the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had stated that the owls needed more protection to avoid extinction. The acreage opened for logging and development in owl habitat is three times the size of Grand Canyon National Park. Logging transforms healthy forests into barren landscapes, lacking everything a spotted owl needs to survive. Habitat loss increases competition for food and other resources. With too few trees, spotted owls struggle to learn to fly. When a baby spotted owl learns to fly, it starts by branching, leaping from branch to branch to grow accustomed to using its wings. A healthy forest is essential for enabling young owls to learn to fly. The Biden administration is now soliciting public comments as it considers whether to restore protections for over 3 million acres of forest that spotted owls need for survival. Is the ocean circulation system about to stop? And what would it mean? A study which just appeared in the journal Nature Climate Change found several signs that the ocean circulation is slowing down and might be about to collapse. Higher sea surface temperatures in the tropics and the incursion of fresh water from melting ice sheets are the biggest factors in the potential shutdown of the circulation, a massive current system that is critical to heat distribution across the planet. The current helps to moderate temperatures in the northern hemisphere, taking warm water from the tropics northward on the Gulf Stream toward Europe before returning submerged colder water southward toward Antarctica and then on to the Pacific. But the process may be slowing down as warmer temperatures in the tropics make water a bit lighter, while the fresh water from ice sheets works to reduce the water's density even more, providing less power for the water to sink and return southward, threatening to end the current cycle. This scenario was presented in a seminar at the Government Climate Lab in Princeton, New Jersey about 20 years ago. What is controversial is the conclusion. The early postulate was that the halting circulation would initiate a glacial period. Others argue that the transfer of heat from the tropics to the poles could be taken over by the wind. That might mean many more hurricanes. Climate change is presenting us with new situations where the outcome is not known. We are accustomed to viewing nature shows with emperor penguins trudging across miles and miles of ice. But with climate change threatening the sea ice habitat of emperor penguins, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced a proposal to list the species as threatened under the Endangered Species Act. Quote, the life cycle of emperor penguins is tied to having stable sea ice, which they need to breed, to feed, and to molt, end quote, said Stephanie Jevenier, 
a penguin ecologist at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution in Falmouth, Massachusetts. Research published in the journal Global Change Biology found that by 2100, 98% of emperor penguin colonies may be pushed to the brink of extinction if no changes are made to current rates of carbon emissions and climate change. Around 70% of colonies will be in danger sooner by 2050. The study looked at overall warming trends and the increasing likelihood of extreme weather fluctuations due to global warming. And it noted that extremely low levels of sea ice in 2016 led to a massive breeding failure of an emperor penguin colony in Antarctica's Haley Bay. That year, seasonal sea ice broke up before penguin chicks had time to develop waterproof adult feathers, and about 10,000 baby birds drowned, Jevinier said. The colony didn't recover afterward. For Eco Report, I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And I'm Juliana Daly. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Come to the Nature Center at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, August 28th from 10 to 11 a.m. to learn about composting. This workshop will have you making your own composting bin. Pre-registration is required. Please email Sarah to reserve your spot at svvanhoosier at dnr.in.gov. Take a nocturnal night hike at Leonard Spring Nature Park on Saturday, August 28th from 9 to 10.30 p.m. You can be what goes bump in the night. This naturalist-led hike will teach you about nocturnal animals and the adaptations that allow them to thrive in the dark. Bring a headlamp and meet in the parking lot. Enjoy a hike around Ogle Lake at Brown County State Park on Sunday, August 29th from 10 to 11 a.m. Meet at the Ogle Lake parking area for a guided hike. The trail is approximately 1.2 miles in length and is listed as moderate. Sturdy, closed-toe shoes are encouraged. Always a favorite, the Donaldson Cave Hike is coming up on Sunday, August the 29th from 1 to 1.45 p.m. at Spring Mill State Park. Meet naturalist Emily by the Sycamore Shelter. You will have the opportunity to learn about the Shawnee Cave System and the man the cave is named for. This is a rugged hike, so please wear sturdy shoes. The Nature Sound Series continues at the Highland Village Park out in the field behind the ballpark on Friday, September 3rd from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. The nature topic is Earth and Sky of Miami Homelands. Learn about the Miami culture and their lunar calendar while enjoying a live acoustic music performance.
And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. David Lyman assembled the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly, that's me, compiled our events calendar, and Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer power edition of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you 